RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm your nurse host, Abby, and today I have a very special guest. I'm very excited. Shirlene, you might know her better as Shirley Whirl on Instagram. We had the best conversation. She is so smart and talented and funny. If you're familiar with her comics, she's exactly what you would expect when you speak with her. She is not only a very talented artist, um, her drawings are beautiful. On top of that, she also has a platform for social justice, and that was one of the reasons why I picked her for this topic. Um, we're going to be talking about intersectional feminism and how it relates now in this world of 2020 with um, the Black Lives Matter movement. We talked about Charlene's life, um, her residency, and the project she's working on also. So I had such a blast talking to Charlene, um, and I hope she comes back again soon. Here we go. Okay, so first of all, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love your account. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I love your comics. They're, not only are you so artistically talented, you have such good insight too. So I just really appreciate you being here. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> High praise. <laughs> so I guess, why don't we start off? You can give us a little bit of your history and your background. My name's Charlene. Not surely. Um, <laughs> I am uh, just recently turned 28. I'm a third year internal medicine resident at UChicago. Kind of about me, the quick and dirty of where I'm from. I was born in Ghana. I moved to the United States when I was about six. We kind of moved all over. So Chicago, Arkansas, Texas. I went to WashU for undergrad. And I uh, went to medical school at UChicago. I'm currently a resident at UChicago. As far as kind of my history, I've always been really interested in, and it's very it's actually fascinating for myself to look back in writing, art, narratives in general. I kind of started marrying the two into comics in middle school, high school. So I, I started a digital art club and I've always started comic clubs everywhere I've gone. <laughs> um, so I started this digital art club in high school and we would draw together there. And then in college, I actually started a club a called Kapow Comic Club. And I have, it's, the website's still up, but I think the club is still extant. Wow. We invite different comic book artists to come discuss kind of the, the medium and we would create comics together. Back then we would kind of put writers and artists together to kind of co-create and I think that's where I kind of cemented my love for the medium 
I love communicating through comics because they are so much more succinct and they can say a lot more. You know, there's that cliche of a picture is worth a thousand words, right? But I do think that's true in the sense that I can portray emotions without having to say what those emotions are. Images are things that people can kind of latch onto and relate to and interpret in their own way. And I think comics gave me a medium to express myself very succinctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that Shirley Royal, like I, I know this, like, and someone's called me out on it before on Reddit, like where they were like, "Oh, you have too many words." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm wordy." Yeah. <laughs> well, <Shirley Rowe> not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm probably breaking some rules of how I should be distributing my words, but whatever. Yeah. And it kind of started off as a way for me to process my own emotions during medical school. Mm-hmm. and kind of process the experience of being a medical student. I actually started drawing these comics around my second year of medical school, and I would just post them to our Facebook group, mm-hmm. um, the class Facebook group. And I wouldn't put that much effort into the art because it would take forever. But eventually, my bestie, Linda, shout out, <laughs> um, encouraged hi. me to actually... Yeah, hi, Linda. <laughs> hi, Linda. Um, right? <laughs> she encouraged me to actually start distributing them in the a wider platform. So it started off with a Facebook group and then I was stronger on into coming onto Instagram. And so and kind of the rest is history. So. Okay. When did you start drawing? You were a kid. Were you this talented or did you, did it develop? So I started, oh, for, I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. I used to fill up notebooks with art. Um, and there's still like a, a gigantic box of just... <laughs> drawings and um, people who know me in real life know that I draw nonstop Mm -hmm. right one of my residents co-residents recently said that when he first saw me in winter report like with my ipad out because that's what I usually draw on just drawing he was like how is everyone letting this girl just clearly not pay any attention but I'm (laughs) paying attention so I'd ask a question that was very like topical he's like oh oh she is paying attention (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. I mean and I do I do it to focus and I do it to decompress so I've been drawing forever I'm not trained so a lot of it is like all of it is self-taught and though I think I've taken like an art class like art one in high school or something there Mm -hmm. here and there I mean how do you teach yourself what's that like I mean, I think first of all, you have to love it enough to practice nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, there's so many resources now, especially on the internet. I like kind of in the early days, I would follow tutorials on things like DeviantArt, YouTube. There used to be this one website that is now defunct that was called Manga Revolution. It was a small community of artists uh-huh. and there were senior artists and junior artists and the senior artists would almost kind of mentor the junior artists. So I did that in high school. I improved pretty dramatically at that time. But everything else is just kind of practice. Like I always tell people that my Shirley World art is not like even close to the stuff I could normally do. That's like my shitty, I'm trying to be quick about it. <laughs> That's like a doodle <laughs> for you. Yeah, it's, it's not. I'm like, people are like, oh my God, the artist good I'm like no it's not like it's not my final form I like it though I like it a lot do you have a is it okay if you say you said you use your iPad can I ask you what Mm -hmm. like app you use Mm -hmm. I use procreate do you okay yeah so that's what I use too I am not Mm -hmm. a drawer though so it's like totally different yeah but I I like to just like I'll sit down and like doodle like a little bit but it's like stick figure stuff but yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's so fun it's a great app yeah it's awesome yeah oh my gosh Mm -hmm. that's great so wait you said you were strong armed to get onto Instagram why yeah so I I am a bit of an old lady when it comes to social media (laughs) despite what 
despite appearances. And I barely liked going on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends was like, girl, everyone is on Instagram these days. Like, if you haven't noticed, I only recently started getting on Twitter. Uh I'm not, yeah, I'm not someone who's necessarily super savvy with social medias. And I was very resistant to getting on, to switching on. But I was, same friend, Linda was like, you have to go on here. This is where everyone is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want people to really see your stuff, Facebook is great, but it's a different demographic, you know, so definitely. um, Yeah. And I love Instagram because I love the stories. As you can tell, I'm always uh, kind of updating them with my thoughts. And while I find that Twitter is kind of the, it's like med central, mm-hmm. I think that Instagram is still, even though I, I have like something like 70,000 followers, it's not that private, <laughs> but um, Twitter, Twitter's, I feel like is like, there's, it's a completely open house, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Versus Instagram has like a little barrier to entry. You have to like follow me and then like actually click my story. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, it's probably platform so far. Yeah. I wonder if there's something with that because I don't really use Twitter. I used to have it and I got rid of it. And I know most doctors do have it and they use it actually more. I wonder if that's a thing with like nurses. I feel like nurses are more on Instagram and doctors are more on Twitter. I wonder if we, sh- I wish there was like a research we could do, you know, <laughs> randomized control trials. Yeah. yeah. Actually, now that you say it, I, I totally see that. Yeah. I see PAs on Twitter too. I feel like I see PAs and docs on Twitter, but you're right on the Instagram, mostly accounts I, like the medical accounts I follow are like nurse accounts. Uh, nurses and NPs. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the social media aspect is so weird and it's like taken over. I mean, I remember I started following like one or two people. I think like your heart doc might've been like the first person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is cool. Like he's like doing these like EKGs and there was like tests. He used to do these little quizzes and like all this cool stuff. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. I can like learn stuff while I'm actually like scrolling, you know? And now it's like this whole other world. I mean, it's a world where I'm able to take people from that world and interview them. Right. So it's like a whole life of its own now. It's so strange. Yeah, it is very interesting. And I think that, I mean, we're in the midst of all these conversations about professionalism, Mm -hmm. et cetera, because we're the first era that has had social media. Yeah. Right. And I like that you're bringing up even like the aspect of education into this, right? I've learned a lot from Instagram and Twitter, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I've mentioned a lot of uh, thoughts around it. I found really great diagrams that I keep saved. And I feel like in general, it can be a really great asset to the field, right? But it's definitely different. It brings upon a different dynamic. There's this whole dynamic of like, doctors can now make themselves a product in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and nurses can now make themselves a product in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so kind of that medfluencer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's category is like so it's yeah. weird because even for me, I mean, I don't I don't have that many followers, but I do it more for fun. You know, the, it's it's more I like conversation. So that's that's more of the thing for me. But it is weird because <clears throat> where's the line? You know, where's the line where like I'm doing it because it's maybe helpful for my career. Like, for example, I've made really good connections with people. And like you're saying, I've learned a lot. I've had open discussions and dialogues with a lot of nurses, and I get a lot personally out of that. And then where's the line of where it becomes self-serving, where I'm packaging myself and trying to sell myself, right? It, it right. It's fuzzy. <laughs> 
it's really fuzzy. And I, I don't really exactly know where that line is. I mean, I know that I have kind of made it such that I, I, I pretty quickly came to the realization that I could never make myself the product. Mm-hmm. And I feel a lot more comfortable making my work the product. I don't post that many pictures of myself right. on Instagram. It'll maybe be in the story every now and then, or sometimes I'll do the like combo me and my avatar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know whether it's wrong to make what you're oneself a product. Exactly. Right? It's just, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I guess it just depends on your comfort level. Like, me mm-hmm. modeling fig scrubs, for example, is just something I just decided I'm not going to do. You know, it's something that I just personally wasn't comfortable with. So right. I just said, okay, I'm I, I'm comfortable with maybe posting pictures of me at work, you know, because I'm telling, I'm trying to tell my story, which I think is similar to a lot of people, especially during COVID, but hiring a photographer, for example, and like, you know, pretending like I look that glamorous when I'm in a patient room, it's just absurd, you know? Right, right. I think for me, where I think the line gets drawn, and this has come up in debates before, is when we start peddling misinformation, or like in order to gain bigger followings. I think that is where I start feeling really uncomfortable. Definitely. What what kind of misinformation do you see? Also, I see people peddling products a lot. I've seen vitamins and things like that being peddled. And I, I also see, I think, like I try to frame everything that I say in my post as my opinion, right? Someone can come in and say, I don't agree with you, et cetera, right? Like I... I am the kind of person who I usually won't say anything unless I'm pretty sure that I'm right. Um, (laughs) I I usually will research before I like, I make a statement or I will frame it very much as like, this is how I feel, right? Like, and this is how I think, this is how I feel. And you can relate to it or you don't have to. But I do see people saying things like that as fact. Sometimes on social media, people with large followings of patients, not necessarily healthcare providers, who don't necessarily include the nuance Right. Because science is nuanced. Medicine is nuanced. And I think we have to be careful because we don't live in a world that really loves nuance because we don't have time for it. Right. Yeah. So I think we have to be careful in the ways that we present information, especially to non-medical people. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I saw that recently I, I reposted. And another one of the decisions that I made with my account is that I don't really... In general, I try not to call people out and attack people. That That's something mm-hmm. that I do try actively not to do because mm-hmm. I feel like conversation can, it can, it can be more effective if you try, if you try, if you have the strength to really try to talk to people and explain things to them, mm-hmm. which can be difficult. Mm-hmm. There are a few exceptions that I make in that. And one of them is what you're talking about, like the medical misinformation. So there was a cardiologist recently who was posting that frontline doctor video was like <laughs> worth exploring. And why are they being silenced? And what what's up with hydroxychloroquine? And what's the real thing, you know? And I, I, I like lost it. Cause I was like, you're a cardiologist. Like, and like you're saying, non-medical people follow you. So even as a nurse, those studies are very confusing sometimes. And I don't fully understand exactly how they were conducted. So I can't imagine for a regular person, how they would dissect some of that information. And so that, like you're saying, I mean, things like that, like Dr. Oz, I see on the news, you know, and it's just like, oh my God, this is like terrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's, 
And I mean, I do like what you say about the whole not calling people out thing. I think that I have been, I've been really lucky so far that Shirley World has generally been like a very pleasant experience for me to run, Mm -hmm. right? I've only ever had a few, I will, let's say bad apples. Yeah. um, (laughs) Come into the space. And in general, everyone seems to come in with good intentions, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's great dialogues that happen in the comment sections. I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I get DMs all the time that are like very like thoughtful and encouraging and positive, you know, et cetera. I think that I, I also... And I, and I try not to engage in cancel culture. I think that there was a period in time in which maybe like in my early 20s when I was like, yeah, like this person's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like they are, the thing that they are saying is dangerous and they should be silenced forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I still don't necessarily, I mean, I, I have a complicated feeling with our relationship with the idea of being silenced because I think it's very difficult if you are able to 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 say that you can silence somebody, you can say that you don't want to listen to them, you don't want to engage in them. And I think that's, different and not necessarily bad Mm -hmm. but I do think that there it can run amok it can run into a place where um, we're no longer having it's no longer about the dialogue or no longer about the issue and more about the ego right right and kind of more about feeling better than somebody else or better feeling more woke than somebody else and that's not what I'm trying to do like I I personally know that I have a lot of room to grow and there are a lot of things that I like, I'm in a lot of ways, and I, t- and I talk about this a lot, that I'm immensely privileged, right? And a lot of topics I can't speak to and ways that I can trip up myself. And I always, I hope that when I do inevitably trip up, right, like that someone will be gracious enough to explain to me kind of why and have a dialogue with me about why instead of immediately assuming that my intentions are bad, right? The other side of that though too is that especially in this day and age of the internet, a lot of people's intentions are bad. Right. And I think there is a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do have to know when, I mean, if someone is being uh, blatant, like blatant racism, for example, I mean, that person to me, that's it. That's the end of that conversation. Then there, I mean, so there is a difference between accountability and mm-hmm. canceling someone because right. in my experience, the people that I've interacted with that say problematic things or they have problematic opinions, they're generally well-intentioned and ill-informed, right? Mm-hmm. And they maybe they never heard some of these concepts. And for me to pretend Mm -hmm. like I've known all this my whole life and I've always been perfect. And I, you know, I am like the perfect ally is just not true. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. not true. And it takes empathy from the white community to bring some of these people in and say, listen, this is wrong. And this is why, and, you know, and explain, and that's the work that we need to do within our own community, you know, but pointing a finger and just saying, you're wrong, you're canceled. I really feel like that really says more about the person who's pointing the finger and trying to be, you know, like you said, ego, it's just better. I'm better, you know, and that that's not helpful to the movement. Right. Right. I mean, I do think, yeah. And I I agree with you. I do think there is a point where the exhaustion can set in. And I think that is, you kind of already spoke a little bit to it, where I would love to see more white people kind of really challenge each other Mm -hmm. on this. Because I do, what I do see fairly frequently is I see a lot of virtue signaling <laughs> yeah. and less of the actual like, and a lot of like, oh, but I can't like get into this conflict with somebody else because maybe it'll damage the relationship in this way. But I really do support you, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And while I, I don't believe in cancel culture, I do think that I also do believe in like people from marginalized groups being like, I'm not. 
I'm not interested in Absolutely. educating, right? Yeah. Like that I'm not interested in necessarily being nice, right? Sure. Um, like this, I personally try my hardest in a lot of cases to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? But all of my interactions when I talk about these things are like intensely deliberate and it's exhausting. I talked about it a little bit in my story yesterday, right? Like the, one of the most exhausting things for me is to have somebody who proclaims to be an ally, right? Or like says all of the right things at the right times. And then when it comes down to it, behaves in the exact same way that everybody else. And when challenged, really pushes back and attempts to punish, right? And I think that happens with a regularity. <laughs> it happens so often that after I posted that in my story, like the number of black women in my comments being like, oh my God, girl, I'm giving me some big story about something that recently happened, which is very much in line with what I talked about is like, it's unacceptable, right? Right. And so I, my feelings around cancel culture and like education are kind of, my, my feeling is that you should try your best not to cancel other people and remember that they are human and they are learning and we've all we are all constantly learning and growing right while also kind of being able to take a step back and take care of yourself right like, and to recognize when someone really doesn't have their like isn't really there to learn right like I, I hit the block button real quick I'm like, ah, you know you're not allowed in this space <laughs> yeah same yeah yeah I mean I again I think it just goes back to you know just again it's only my opinion opinion. If the black community wants to engage and, and, and feels like teaching, great. But again, this is a white community problem. It's a problem within our own community and we have to take responsibility and we have to do the work and do the education that goes along with that. And it is exhausting. It, I mean, honestly, I have people that I feel in my own life that I know and love that I have to re-explain and explain and re-explain and explain. And if you're hung up on the first part, which is acknowledging that there's a problem, right? It's it's very hard to get to step two where we're actually doing something about it. And that can be very frustrating, especially if you have a personal relationship and you otherwise love this person, right? It, it, it can be frustrating, can be difficult, but it's what needs to happen to make a change. I mean, it's just when it has to happen. I think humans are social creatures, right? Like at the end of the day, I think that and most people will follow the crowd, mm-hmm. right, in a way. And I think most social movements have happened that way, right? Like you have, there's one big overwhelming movement and all of a sudden something is fairly normalized, right? Mm-hmm. For example, I remember, what, what was it, like 2013, 2014, when gay marriage was like officially became federally legal, right? It was federally legalized. And I, I was in Texas, like I, I grew up in Texas, right? When this debate was going on. And I mean, the way things were in Texas, it was like, this was this big sin. It was like right. marriage, et cetera, et cetera. It was like awful. Um, and then yeah. it passed. And then about a year later, like everyone was kind of chill with it. Right? <laughs> like, it's like, we not, don't even talk chill, about it. Not chill with it if it's in your face, but not like the way they thought like this. The, end the country not, would collapse. Right? Like, country, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> like we yeah. got right back to 90 Day Fiance is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> 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 um, marriage, the marriage was not threatened. Like, and so I think that that's how things kind of generally are. I even think that that's almost the case with the most recent set of protests. Like, why was this set of protests so different? Why was George Floyd's murder so different when we had Philando Castile and Tamir Rice, who I always refer to, you know, he was freaking 12. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how much more did you need? How like, much more of a quote-unquote perfect victim did you need, right? Right. And I, in a way, feel as though there had just been enough social pressure that was placed for long enough that 
more people started being like, okay, right? Like my friends are doing that. Like, you know, I don't think it's quite as like, as explicit as my friends are doing this, but I do think there's that. And I will say like, at least with Shirley World, like I will acknowledge the fact that I think that half the reason why people listen to me is because I'm likable, right? <laughs> like, and I come in a, in a more like, oh, like you could relate to me package, right? Uh-huh. And then if I was a little fire, I mean, I'm, I'm feisty. Ha <laughs> 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 I came in a, like a more confrontational, fiery package, maybe I wouldn't have quite the impact that I have been somehow been able to have, you know? So mm-hmm. do you, do you ever feel like you do have to keep that packaging? Do you feel like you have to keep certain emotions contained on your Instagram? I feel that way in life. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't, I think, I think surely world is fairly authentic to who I am as a person. Like it's the same stuff that I say normally, right? But I do think, I mean, I'm a black woman in academia. Like I can't be angry, right? Right. I can be righteous, Mm -hmm. but I can't be angry. I can hardly ever be quiet, right? I'm a smiley person. So like on those like few days where I'm like tired and I'm not particularly smiley, the number of people who are like, oh my God, Charlene, is everything okay? Are you mad at me? Like, I'm like, no. No, I'm tired. (laughs) And so I do think, and I I think that I, everything I say, I usually try to, I have to be very deliberate with it, right? Like, and that's kind of something I've been, I've trained myself to do for a long time. That kind of, it gets exhausting, honestly, right? Because sometimes I just want to be like, I just want to say this. I just want to like be to feel the whole spectrum of my emotions um, without fear that it's going to have enough uh, professional repercussions for it. Right. And I don't think we've gotten there yet. Like that I can, if you can feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've, I've personally seen other physicians, you know, throw things across the room or do all but everything except for sh- physically touch somebody to shove them out of the way, but maybe barrel through them, you know, to, to show their frustration. I've seen physicians do things like that. And I think in context, I mean, you have to be a lot more measured in your, in your actions. Oh, yeah. And even when someone is doing those things to me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that is like a, that is a, a frustrating part, right? Is that like, I think that my particular intersection of Black and woman, we have to have constant grace, mm-hmm. right? And that the moment we stray from grace, it is looked upon as something else. Mm-hmm. Um, with a great example. And I, I talked about this a lot, but it's really hard to confront wrongdoing against us without the tone policing coming in, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like when people ascribe emotions to me, Mm -hmm. right? And I find that whenever I confront a problem, that is the first thing that happens next is that someone says that, like, I'm offended, like, oh, I'm sorry, I offended you. I'm like, you didn't offend me. Right. I'm, I'm addressing a problem or like, I'm sorry, that you're upset or that you're angry. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's not center this on your perception of my feelings, right? Because I'm not necessarily feeling those things, mm-hmm. right? And I would consider myself at least a pretty good communicator. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure I didn't necessarily portray those things. <laughs> and let's go back to the problem, right? Like there's a problem here. I want us to address it. Let's go back to the meat of this. And it doesn't have to affect our relationship in any other way. Like I'm not upset with you. We can continue like, as we were before. Um, I think that's, Definitely. that's a really, it's a really hard thing for us to navigate. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I guess that is a good time. Maybe we can talk. I mean, part of this talk was going to be about intersectional feminism, Mm -hmm. which I saw in your story that you were posting a lot about. And that's a topic that I've always been very interested in. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh my God, I was like quick to jump on your, in your DMs and be like, oh my God, we're talking tomorrow. Let's talk about this. So first of all, this is a bit, it's a big topic. It's a heavy topic. And for anybody who is, has maybe heard this term before and maybe doesn't know the definition or, or might think it's a bit much. And I I get it right now is a difficult time. I mean, COVID's going on. We've all been in lockdown. People don't have jobs. I, I understand that it's difficult to think about taking on not only feminism, but now intersectional feminism, which is an added layer. But for anybody who is interested, stick around with us for a minute. Don't, don't leave yet. Just, just wait, because I have a feeling that most people believe in this idea. They just don't realize it. Um, and it can seem kind of complicated. And so I want to just kind of simply break it down for anybody who's never heard of this idea before. So intersectionality in general is about, it can be age, it can be race, it can be sexual orientation, disability, nationality, gender identity, class. And then when you're talking about it in the context of feminism, it's how those things, you can be discriminated against on more than one level, right? So because I'm a white woman, I might be discriminated against my sex. Because you're a black woman, you might be discriminated against your race and your and your sex. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a lot of nuances to this. And that's why it can seem a little complicated. But it's important to understand that there are levels mm-hmm. that one woman's experience with the patriarchy does not speak for everybody's experience, right? Right. Is there anything I should add to that? No, I mean, I think that's a a really good definition. I would say that I would actually even swap it. I would say that intersectional feminism is probably like the baseline, right? And that the particular intersections are where we get into nuance. So I, that's why, I mean, a lot of times people throw out the terms white feminism and a lot of people may rankle at that term to be like, oh, like, why are we calling this white? feminism instead of just feminism. And it's because while the topics that are typically addressed in mainstream feminism apply tangentially to all women, like they apply, they aren't, they aren't generalizable, right? So me and Linda, hey girl. Hey Linda, hey, we Linda. love you. <laughs> Linda's Chinese American, right? Or Chinese uh-huh. Canadian American, I guess, whatever, all of them. And okay. so like, let's, let's take the access of just like race and womanhood. Gender. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gender. So for example, a lot of mainstream feminisms kind of rankles against this idea of a damsel in distress, right? Oh, the woman who needs to be saved. And I would say that that is a particularly white woman like intersection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because the black woman typically is not seen as someone who's worthy of being saved or requires saving because we are the, quite the opposite. We're strong, we're powerful, we're very masculinized, quote unquote, um, even though I like, don't really love that term. And the other side of that is like the Asian woman who's almost the hyper version of that, like it was, was supposed to be very, who's small and dainty and has porcelain skin and is very docile. So when, for example, a lot of, I remember like when feminism was ramping out, there's like this whole like, yeah, we need more like women in media who are like kicking ass, taking names, don't need a man. Actually, for a lot of Black women, seeing the princess in the tower being a Black woman is very feminist, right? Like it's a, that is revolutionary because we don't get that representation, right? And so I think that is like, that's the most 
plain, like the, I think the accessible way I, I, I would have people enter it is to think about how intersectional feminism ends up almost involving everyone, right? It involves like intersectional feminism is for everyone. It's for men, it's for women, it's for non-binary people, like it's for like trans people. It includes everyone because, I mean, if we're going to talk about when I'm talking about the intersections, we have to talk about the relationships with, say, like when we're talking about intersections between gender and sexual orientation and race, et cetera, et cetera, we end up roping in everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So it ends up being, it feels like it's a lot to chew on. Right. I think that people feel very easily overwhelmed by that whole concept. But I mm-hmm. think at the end of the day, the easiest way to access or to really become an intersectional feminist is to kind of pause and think about, okay, what are the like given the perspective of like whoever I'm dealing with, right? Like mm-hmm. what are the ways in which this particular topic really affects them from like a racial standpoint, a gender standpoint, a sexual orientation standpoint, right? Like when we are talking about abortion, for example, or like access to sexual health resources, et cetera, right? What, what does that mean for a trans man, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's going to mean something different than it does for me, a cis woman. And mm-hmm. I think that is kind of the framework with which we should move through. And that's why I say I'm not a, I'm not a feminist, right? Like I'm a womanist or I'm an intersectional feminist because really there's not much in mainstream white feminism for me. Like it doesn't really relate mm-hmm. to me. People are going to get mad, but like Medkini, for example, like I'm like, I am in a bikini maybe two out of 365 days a year. Right. Yeah. Like, so I know, I understand the energy and the outrage behind this uh, like idea of, of not being able to have the freedom to express oneself. Right. But for me, it was, it didn't really appeal to me. Right. Like it didn't really speak to me. I didn't necessarily feel empowered by it because I felt that it overlooked the other aspects that like things that people can't take off. Right. Like I can't, Mm -hmm. I can wear scrubs instead of a bikini. I can't, like, if I were like a gay married man, I can't not be gay married. (laughs) Right. 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 Like, and the difference between, I mean, not to say that it's not important. Right. Like, I don't. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I saw what you posted and I posted something similar to that. And and I didn't want to take anything away from that movement because, of course, you should, if you want to wear a bikini, rock the bikini, do what you want, go to work, do your thing. Exactly. No problem. Mm-hmm. But I did feel a little bit like it kind of missed the mark as far as it's not the only thing that we face as women. And especially if, if I'm, if I'm a white woman and I'm, I'm putting a bikini and saying like, fuck the patriarchy, basically Mm -hmm. it kind of ignores other struggles that to me might be more damaging that I see, I see in my workplace, I see discrimination in my workplace, you know? So those kind of things are what I personally just choose to spend my time on more. So no shade to anybody who did it or thought it was important. It was, but I just personally felt like I also see racism. I also see homophobia. I also see these other things. And and that stuff is just what I choose to spend my time on instead of a bikini. Because to, to be quite honest, too, the, the bikini thing specifically, I mean, it was a funny retort. I, I'll give everybody that. That's a funny thing. Like, oh, bikini. And then it's like, okay, fuck you. I'm wearing a bikini, you know. But it, but it also can seem a little, again, is it about the movement or is it about your own ego where you're posting how good you look in a bikini too? Is it about feminism? I'm not sure, you know. Right. I mean, I just was like, I don't see the bodies being like the 
the bodies that are typically maligned in our society, right? Like necessarily being mm-hmm. representative of that, right? I didn't see fat bodies yeah. as much, right? Like, right, right. Um, I didn't see yeah. like disabled bodies, right? Like, you know, those right. kinds of things where I would be like, oh, like, you know, this may be. And especially when we're talking about how 5% of physicians are black physicians, yeah. you're going to see more, you know, white women posting those kind of posts in general too. So it's, it's not representative either. So. Right. And I mean, I think this comes back to intersectionality, right? Like right. for, for me and maybe they're, they're, this is not to say I'm not black women are not a monolith. Right. Um, so, but me, like for me, that wasn't the most salient part of the piece. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that, like, I can't divorce my, I mean, there, like, there's something to be said about being a woman in the workplaces. I mean, I have, I have so many stories of sexual harassment while I've been, like, in the Same, medical yeah. career. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. which is horrifying, right? That yeah. Every time I talk about, like, I bring it up with someone, someone's like, oh, yeah, like, this other thing happened to me. And it's usually by the same repeat offenders that everybody knows about, right? Like, we're allowed to continue. Like, I, mm-hmm. I always tell people I entered my medical career like being sexually harassed at my med school interview. Like one of my interviews told me that my body looked tight and asked whether I said the word tight. Ah! Oh my God, that's disgusting. So gross. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to keep talking to you because I really want to get into med school. (laughs) Oh my God. And that was entry into medical school for me. Not not, not in my institution. My institution, everyone's been always very respectful. Don't at me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like the... So there's something to be said about all of that, right? But we can't ignore the ways those intersect, right? Like Medkini means less to me than the fact that Black Lives Matter is considered advocacy and therefore unprofessional, right? Like when I am a Black life, right? Like that doesn't, or a happy Black Correlate. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was your, you said you wouldn't call yourself a feminist. What was your introduction to feminism? Man, that is a question. I don't actually... Like, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily remember straight off the bat, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I, in a way, feel as though I was always kind of raised a feminist, right? Like, mm-hmm. my household is a little more unconventional in the sense of, like, my mom, my mom was a physician as well. She's a neonatologist. Um, and my dad was trained as an engineer. But when we came to America, he really just left everything behind, right? Like, he wow. everything. Very unconventional move for a man. Very super unconventional move for an African man. Right. Like, drop everything so that his wife's career could be furthered, right? Wow. So I had a stay-at-home dad, right? And I had like goddamn women don't come to play, like <laughs> 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 house. And so I think that in a way I probably always was a feminist. I was raised and I my mother was raised as well, like in a household that prioritize educating the, the, all of the children, not just the boys, and kind of raised to that I could do everything anybody else could, right? And so I, I think that was always part of my thoughts, right? Like, and then I think I started reading more about things like the pay gap, et cetera, et cetera. And that was what kind of brought me into feminism. But I think kind of the, it was, I, I think that a lot of people hear of the quintessential kind of like, oh, bra, bra burning and period, free periods, all the stuff that is like, right. controver- not controversial, it's sensational, right? Right. Like we'll, right. we'll hear of those things. And I didn't completely relate to that. Right. I didn't mm-hmm. relate to that at all. And then I, I started reading more into like more mainstream kind of third wave feminism, and it still didn't really entirely speak to me, right? Because it's this whole, it's like a lean in style feminism of like, I really, what it felt like to me was how to make myself almost more traditionally masculine in order to be more feminine, right? Like, or to 
and those terms are, as one of my readers once told me, like are a, a little bit, they're rotten a little bit of, mm. I don't really know how to define masculine as masculine. Right. But still, right. And so it wasn't really until I started reading more like Bell Hooks and Alice Walker that I, I started seeing myself represented. Although like guys, Alice Walker is an anti-Semite too. So like, like later on, I'm like, oh Some, man. Maybe, oh, yeah. Yeah. Crenshaw who actually coined intersectional feminism. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's not like I, I sit here and I read those books. Like I read sci-fi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I read, yeah. Like I do not read that much in the in sense of like nonfiction, but I think even just reading articles and kind of led me more down that path. But I also just, yeah. sorry, you keep asking me questions. I keep talking, but this is just how I am. Go for it. No, go for it. <laughs> Thank you. I also do think though, that I, I think that deep down everybody, like when, if they think about it, as you said, I think everyone deep down is an intersectional feminist, right? Like we all want, Definitely. you want everyone to be equal and have equal opportunity in this world, right? Like then that's what you are, right? You just have to yeah. fight, figure out how to get there and how to be, to be mindful of how different people's struggles or different how different people navigate through the world so right that not everybody experiences the world the way that you experience the world i mean really that's it's as simple as that and i think we all agree with that exactly. <laughs> i i love what you said about like you're not sitting around just re-reading like kimberly crenshaw you know all you read sci-fi you know and again i think that speaks to that's why i told people to hang on with us because you don't have to be this radicalized, you know, where I hate men and this, you know, feminism, I think most people already are there. They just don't like the label. They don't like the way it's been packaged. It, the idea of a feminist has been weaponized to some degree by, you know, political, you know, people of a different you know, political spectrum. So then it, it becomes a thing if you're again, if you're already just squabbling about am I a feminist? Am I not a feminist? Feminists only burn bras and they're radical and they go to marches and that, that I can't sit and read my sci-fi book and also be a feminist. Then it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that like traditional feminism wasn't inclusive. You know, it, it really wasn't. And it wasn't representative. It was mostly written about and driven by white women. And that that idea, I feel like a lot of white women hear that and they kind of pull back and they say, oh, you know, no, but that idea isn't a personal attack on anybody. And and that's important to remember. Right. We, we weren't there for that movement, right? And it's just acknowledging that the people who had access to education at the time, the people whose voice would be heard at the time, the people who had the ability to say, I want to go to college, I want to go to work, were generally upper class white women. That's it. It's, it's not to say anybody is bad or wrong or you did something personally. It's just to acknowledge that fact, you know? <laughs> and I think that people have a hard time. I think what this comes down to is I think that people have a really hard time, especially when they have had struggles, mm -hmm. acknowledging that other people may have had not even worse struggles, right? Um, because privilege isn't necessarily about who has struggled and who hasn't. It's just that what has made that struggle worse, right? Right. And I mean, we're talking, we talk a lot of black and white, but I mean, I would say when you even go into like communities, right? Like when you break it down further, like, like I'm black and a woman, but I'm also cisgender and straight. Mm -hmm. And like that gives me a huge amount of privilege against, I mean, black trans women are like 90% of the murdered, like, 
trans people, right? right. In this country. Right. And probably, I don't know what the stats are for the world. There's not that many of us in the world, I guess. <laughs> and so, like, even within that, I think that when you start looking in the subgroups and you tell a group of Black people that, they also can get really defensive. Like, we all do the same thing, right? Like, when we right. talk about our histories, right? And I think an understanding, kind of as you were saying, an understanding of, like, this is just what, like, certain people were able to access, right? Right, um, right, yeah. And, like, that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that um, if we want to live in the kind of world where everyone truly has an equal opportunity, we have to address that first. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. And you're so right about when people have gone through struggles and like say that they're white and maybe poor, for Mm -hmm. example. I mean, I grew up below the poverty line myself. And so people in my community were very quick to say, you know, if, if we're talking about race, I mean, that was so long ago. I go through all of it, you know, blah, blah. And it's, it turns into almost like the person takes that information as someone saying they've never been through anything ever. Right. And that's just, again, simply not true. I mean, I went through my fair share of struggles mm-hmm. in getting, you know, putting myself through nursing school and growing up where my, my grandmother raised me instead of my parents and, and different things like that. But I can still acknowledge that the system still benefited me. I, I lived within a system that benefited white people. And, and it, not that it was easy to get where I was, but it was probably easier for me to get out of poverty than it would be for somebody who was like you're saying, maybe had a disability or was transgender or any of those other intersections. Right. Exactly. And I think that when we use our critical thinking and we're able to kind of step back from the ego as we were talking about before that concept is very easy to understand right Mm -hmm. like and because I mean your story is so different from mine right like I when we first came to the states my mom was a resident there were five of us so we were broke but very quickly there was a quick upward climb right like as she went through when I, I didn't put myself through school right like I got scholarships. My parents could help pay for me to go for interviews. They could help pay for my applications. They could pay for like classes. So I would do well. They could get me into good public schools. Like those are all things that really influence who I am right now and where I've been able to get to today. Right. Like, and if I had your struggles, who knows, like maybe I wouldn't be here. Right. And so it doesn't like invalidate right i think that's the thing people need to understand is like like having privilege doesn't invalidate your struggles in any way and i think like we just have to get good at listening to each other without feeling attacked right like it's i think that we have a hard time i have a hard time being told i'm wrong right like i know i'm right all the time (laughs) so i think it's very human to have a really hard time being told that we're wrong it's really hard for us sometimes to hear that we hurt someone when we don't intend to, right? When that was not, like, when it was completely innocent. And I think that sometimes people have the gut response that the other person should be more gracious to them because of their intent, right? Like, and I think that what we should all kind of learn to do is to kind of take a moment when somebody, when you get called out, right? Or somebody tells you that something said or done is problematic, is to take a moment and just think about the words that they said, right? And take away, try to take away your feelings about how those words were delivered, right? Or feelings about, because, you know, there could be 28 years of frustration behind those 
and take away feelings about like your own intent and your own gut response and I'm a good person, et cetera, et cetera. And I think of everybody equally and mm-hmm. kind of process what could have led you to say those things, right? Or to like to feel a certain way and how you can reprogram right. yourself not to think in those ways, right? Like uh, I have learned a lot. My I have a sister who is non-binary, right? And I've heard a lot, I've mm-hmm. learned a lot from them, right? Like I have slipped up a million times. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm like, I love you, like, of course, I would never mean to hurt you or to say, to mess up, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have had to learn to sit back and be like, okay, like, let's think about, like, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to absorb that. I'm going to amend how I speak, right? Like, and the very heteronormative lens through which I see things, right? I'm going to try to learn, right? Because Mm -hmm. I want you to live in a world where you are accepted and able to thrive and live wholly as yourself and give your all of the talents that you have um, without being restricted by bullshit, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That that's, I, I love that. I love that point. I, I think that reaction that you said where the, the person kind of goes, well, I'm, I'm a good person though. You know, if instead of focusing on what the other person is saying, like, Hey, the words you are using are not, you know, the things that you, you really should be saying, or, you know, would be helpful to this community. If you revert to, well, I'm a good person. It kind of, it kind of takes you to this idea of like a post-racial society where like, I don't even see color. I don't even, you know, I don't even see these things. I'm a good person. I think of everyone equal. Well, but the problem with that idea is that in the world, everyone isn't equal, right? So now you're, you're kind of taking that idea that someone else is struggling more and you're, and you're pushing it down and you're minimizing it. So it's better to just, and it's hard. I've had to do it. I'm sure I will have to do it again in the future. I say things, I am not perfect. Mm -hmm. I say things sometimes that are wrong. Luckily, I try to be careful when it's on my public forum to really think about what I'm doing. But yeah, it's, it's not as easy especially in your personal life. And you really have to be willing, if you really, if it's not for your ego, if you really want to make a change, you really have to be open right. to that kind exactly. of feedback. And I think we're in a yeah. much better place. Oh right? my God. If we just live our lives, yeah. right? Can we just it's be people? Place. Can we do it? <laughs> yeah. I heard yeah. Oh my God. I love this conversation. I love speaking oh, wow. with you. Thank You're you, a pleasure you know. to talk to. <laughs> maybe we could, if you're, if you're open, I know you got like a jam packed schedule, but maybe in a few months or something, we could revisit this conversation because, you know, like we're saying, this is kind of the basic, this is kind of the overlying idea we're introducing, but we could get into, you know, the nuances of it more. And we could even bring other women on. I, Hey Siri MD, she uh, messaged me and she was like, I love this idea. Like we could bring her and um, maybe even Nina awesome. or something totally in. down just yeah. let me know when you want to do it and i'll cross check check the schedule all right thank you this was great thank you so much this is so fun abby i really appreciate it i'll uh talk to you soon okay great, great. this is so fun yeah so much all right let's talk soon show. we really have a good night. all right you too night. if you have any questions or comments any topics you'd like to submit please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to our Instagram account, which is rnmdpodcast. 
or my personal Instagram account is the nocturnal nurse. If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. We need the love right now. We're just getting started. Also, if you have any suggestions of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.